So our hero for the morning are these folks, the flamingos. They will serve for us as an image, a metaphor of how where you abide shapes your very being. So who knows how flamingos get their color? Lots of people's. Anybody? What they eat, right. Here's from uh, the Smithsonian Zoo's website. A flamingo's nest looks like a mini mud volcano with room for one large egg. Flamingos are monogamous, and mom and dad are team players. Both help to build the nest and incubate the egg. Flamingo chicks hatch with white, gray, downy feathers and straight bills. It takes several years for them to acquire their signature pink color and hook-shaped bills because flamingos really are what they eat. They typically live, I'm using the word abide because that's the word from the scripture for today. They typically abide in shallow brackish waters. So brackish waters are those really dark tannin colored waters that are a mix of fresh and salt water. Shallow brackish waters filled with plants and small creatures that naturally produce red, yellow, or orange pigments called carotenoids. Carotenoids give carrots their orange color or turn ripe tomatoes red. They are also found in the microscopic algae that brine shrimp. As a flamingo dines on algae and brine shrimp in their digestive systems, enzymes break down carotenoids into pigments that are absorbed by fats in the liver and deposited for flamingos in the feathers and skin. To actually color those external attributes, carotenoids must be ingested in very large amounts. Because the flamingo diet is nearly exclusively carotenoid-filled delicacies, the birds have no problem coloring themselves. Though it is noteworthy that there are some flamingos that live in different brackish waters without the pigmented shrimp, and they remain white. So they really are what they eat, inhabiting brackish waters and ingesting these things that over time caused them to take on their particular color. Now before we move on to the message for the morning, a couple of other flamingo facts. Uh, who knows why their knees bend backwards? because they are not knees. That is the flamingo ankle. Their foot begins very high, giving a new, you know, a new understanding of a high ankle sprain. <laughs> right? And lastly, who knows what a group of flamingos is called? This is the best name for a group ever, a flamboyance. <laughs> A flamboyance of flamingos, a flamboyance of flaming pink flamingos. There's something there, right? <clears throat> the word uh, flamboyance and flamingo comes from the French flaming or inflamed. A flaming flamboyance of pink flamingos. Mm. You can go away happy, whatever comes next. <clears throat> so the message for the morning were... Uh, in the midst, we're near the end of a series of messages talking about sanctuary distinctives. What makes us, us, distinct from or different from other representations of Christianity that you might find, or what excites us about us? And today I'm going to give you two for the price of one. Abiding in Jesus in a way that produces, as the desired outcome, fruitfulness. 
Okay, so those concepts, abiding in Jesus, what that means, why that's a radical, difficult, threatening endeavor, and then fruit and fruitfulness, what is that? Why is that too a distinction, a different kind of outcome than you might expect or than is typically desired? So we'll have the flamingo helping us to inhabit brackish waters that turn it a particular color as we dive into Jesus' description of this. So what I'm going to read to you is an excerpt from a long uh, dialogue of Jesus that's captured in the Gospel of John near the end. It's as Jesus is about to depart. His close friends, his followers, so it's a time of anxiety of anticipated threat, of tumult, of their world being turned upside down, first by the threat of violence, and then by heady days of power. And so a couple of notes about this specific text. Jesus describes here God as Father. I've done my best to convert that to gender-neutral language. And the other thing is that the word abide can also mean remain. So to me, abide means to inhabit in some safe, cocoon-like way, a lovely space that feels good to you. But it can also mean remain. And the implication of remain is that there is the possibility of not. There is either an invitation to go somewhere else or a threat that would push you somewhere else. And so Jesus, I think, is channeling both of these ideas. So I have said, continue to abide. So this is Jesus speaking to his close friends and followers. I am the true vine, and God, my parent, is the caretaker of the vineyard. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, they take away. And every branch that bears fruit, they prune so that it might bear more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Continue to abide in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it continues to abide in the vine, so neither can you unless you continue to abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one continuing to abide in me and I in them, this one bears plentiful fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless you continue to abide in me, you are like the branch that has been cast outside and has withered. Which branches are gathered up and cast into the fire and burned. If you continue to abide in me and my words continue to abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall happen for you. By this, God, my parent, is glorified, that you bear plentiful fruit and become my disciples. As God has loved me, I have also loved you. Continue to abide in my love. Now, to me, the greatest threat to losing sight of the impact, the radicalness of this message, is, straightforwardly, its loveliness. Right? Jesus is inviting his followers to abide in my love and you will bear much fruit. So I hear like an invitation to a spa, right? 
we're going to take a break from our busy lives and go to a spa in Arizona, and we're going to sit in a mud bath, and we're going to put, God knows why, cucumbers on our eyes. <laughs> and we're going to come away with rosy glow skin, feeling refreshed. Or we're going to go to a cabin on a lake, sponsored by Coca-Cola, <laughs> with, with our friends who are similar age, cheerful, healthy, smiling. We're going to splash in the water and have some fires by the fire pit. And we're going to come away just more deeply aware of our, like, lovely healthiness. Right? But I don't think that's what's going on for Jesus. When he is talking to his friends, those who've been following him, he is talking to a group of people who have been with him for some period of time, a year, up to three years maybe. They have been doing what he's describing, abiding with him, abiding in him, hearing his words, experiencing how he loves them. It is something they've desired, something they've wanted, something that's been appealing, and that has begun to produce change in them. They are different beings as they interact with Jesus than they were when they started. They have been shaped and infused by his love. It's a very particular kind of brackish water, the love of Jesus. It is not other sites of brackish water. Certain nutrients come to them through the love of Jesus that produce a way of being, that produce, channeling the flamingos, a specific kind of color shaped by the love of Jesus. They are about to experience a lot of tumult that is going to threaten their ability to inhabit the love of Jesus, to abide in that love. That Jesus is about to be taken away, arrested by the state, and executed as a criminal, a criminal of the state. The disciples themselves, whoops, by association, will be similarly threatened. So they will come to very quickly inhabit the possibility or be invited to inhabit Abiding in threat, abiding in fear, abiding in an ethic of worry, of hiding, of suppression. Very different than what it has meant for them to abide in the love of Jesus. Shortly after that, <laughs> Jesus will turn out to be alive. He will come back and they will realize, oh, this is a different reality than what we had been thinking was the case. And the first thing that will come to them is, we are now powerful, we win. And they will feel the desire to inhabit the brackish waters of power, of domination, of control. Their first question to Jesus, when they encounter him alive, is, will you now restore Israel? Which is just a way of saying, do we get to win now? Not just do we emerge from oppression, it will also contain within it the implicit ask for retribution, right? For vengeance. Do we now get to get back at those who have been controlling us? And to all of these things, I think Jesus is saying, abide in my love. You will feel pulls and tugs to abide in 
ways of being, ways of thinking, ways of inhabiting the world that are antithetical to what it has come to mean to abide in me. And the only way to stay true to what you have come to love about abiding in my love is to continue to do that, right? Because what will have happened for these, for his followers, and I think it's true for me too, as I do my best to abide in the love of Jesus, is that certain things are supported. Certain aspects of my being, ways of thinking, feeling, thinking of others, are nourished and come to life, while others are diminished. So I find, as imperfectly implemented as this still is, that as I do my best to inhabit the love of Jesus, to have that be the vine to which my branch is grafted, I find a diminishing sense of otherizing. I find a devaluing of knowing what's right from what's wrong. Adi talked about certainty. I find it less and less in my being to even think about those things, to engage in that endeavor. I find a decreased resonance with, in conflict, the desire for retribution or vengeance or for the implementation of violence. And what I realize is that as the call comes to me to embrace those things, to buy in, to give the thumbs up to those as practices, what I would have to do is shift the locus of my abiding from Jesus, from the love of Jesus, to something else. There are places that I could go to that would nourish those, that would produce that kind of color, those attitudes in me. They're not hard to find. They clamor for my attention. I find even within myself rising up a yesness to ways of being, thinking, and practicing that are not a part of who I am and that are not nourished by Jesus. And so I think Jesus, as he interacts with his followers, is aware. You're going to find rising up within you the desire to abide in a world of threat that is governed by threat, fear, and fearfulness, and how you need to behave if that's the case. You are going to be enticed to inhabit a world of domination where violence, the use of violence, the activity of retribution and vengeance are a part of the fabric of the whole thing. When you feel that, (laughs) my request to you, if you want to continue forward in the life that you have found with me that is still so tenuously a part of your being, you need to remain in my love. You need to stay rooted in that. You need to continue to be nourished by me, by who I am, by the words that I have spoken, by the way that I have treated you, by what that has felt like to you. And so it's not just this sort of lovely invitation to, you know, a hippie flower fest on a meadow somewhere in the 60s. It is if you want to continue to be the kind of person that you are becoming, the kind of person that you want to be, that you feel good about being, you need to remain in my love. Because otherwise it's not going to happen. You are going to lose that. You will become a different kind of person if you shift out of 
abiding in me and fly over to some other brackish pond. Right? And so this then is connected to the conception of fruit and fruitfulness. So before I get there, I want to say just one thing. Jesus makes this claim, continue to abide in me. I'm just going to say straightforwardly, I don't think Jesus is making a claim in this moment to onlyness, to only me, in the way that so much of Christendom has done since then, in the way that evangelicalism has done, that fundamentalism has done, that all denominations do, that Catholicism does. Only me. He's not, again, sitting with his disciples in some conference center free from stress and strife where he puts up on his PowerPoint display all the possible sources, all the possible brackish ponds, all the possible sources of things coming into you and saying, you're free to choose them all, these innumerable ones, but only me, right? Only me is acceptable. It is a different setting that Jesus is speaking into. I think rather he is saying to them, you have found a kind of goodness in me that will be under threat from everything around you. And so if you want to continue in that, you have to stay true. But as we turn to the conversation about fruit, it throws the whole thing wide open. Okay, So we are just passing out of... Uh, farmer's market season. And I have to say, for me, it is both a blessing and a curse. Because you come into a quality of food that is just astounding. There's a, there's a confluence when you can get fresh corn and peaches and watermelon and the tomatoes are still coming and they're just all the best they can possibly be. But I just eat so much. I feel this compulsion because the food is there in the farm. I have to eat this and this and this and this. And it's my dad, when we, we had a half lot next to our house, and it must be when we kids got old enough, he had grown up in the country and always farmed, and so he planted his first garden. And he planted, I think it was 20 tomato plants. <laughs> right, and we all collectively groaned. Because we have this image of fruitfulness, and it's visceral, and it's intuitive, and it's immediate. You picture a tomato plant ripe with tomatoes. They are red. They are bursting with juiciness and flavor. You just want to reach out like Adam and Eve, pluck that thing, and eat it. Or an apple tree in fruit, bursting with apples. How does it not fall down, you say? What you know is that I want to take a bite of one of those apples, but there are like a thousand apples on that tree, right? There are way more than I could ever eat. And so the image that Jesus uses as a successful implementation of abiding in him is this, fruitfulness. It is precise and astounding and not what you would expect. Jesus is not using an image of furthering the institution. Jesus is not using an image of knowing all the data. Jesus is not using 
an image of power or domination. He is also not using an image that benefits the institution. Agricultural images are front and center in what Jesus presents as the desirable outcome. He says, for example, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that when you plant it, it grows up into a huge tree that provides nesting for the birds of the air. It is this generous, other-centered outcome that God is after through Jesus with this image. The desire is for fruitfulness. And so, as we assess whether our abiding is producing the kind of outcome that Jesus seems to be after, this would be a part of it, right? Does what you abide in produce a happy anticipation of healthy blessedness in abundance for the people around you, right? Is, is that what it, when you detect that in somebody, a rare occurrence, I'm imagining, do you wonder how is it that that's coming from them? How is it that that kind of feeling, that kind of anticipation, it is so different. If you were to poll people, what is the outcome of religion that you have experienced? How many of them would say, oh, it's just this awesome, lovely, abundant goodness that makes me feel healthy, I just want more. And it's there for everybody. Everybody benefits when religion does well. <laughs> you know, like saying it that way, you realize that this just isn't what happens. This isn't business as usual. And yet this is the desire of Jesus, right? There's pretty strong language in his awareness. If you do this, if you don't do this, what happens if you do, what happens if you don't? But the goal of God, for God's presence amongst human beings, is this kind of lovely, bursting fruitfulness. And so even in the midst of stress and chaos and strife and war and conflict, it's not that we don't make ourselves aware, take in awareness of what's going on, but what we need to be founded in, first and foremost and always, are the kinds of places that produce this outcome. So I'm not here saying that I know Jesus is the only entity in the cosmos that if you abide in it can produce this outcome. But I do believe if you do, you'll be happy with the results, that this is what the love of Jesus produces, that if you drink it in, if you inhabit it, you will be pleased with the results. It will produce this kind of outcome. So my current practice, I'll just share one, where I try to do this. There are a lot, there's a lot that goes into it for me for, to abiding in Jesus in this way, to trying to connect with the person, the being, the goodness, the love of Jesus. A part of it is inhabiting a faith community like this that is committed to Jesus at the center and to an encounter with Jesus, to a, an experience, a perception of infusion of life with the words, presence, being of Jesus. What I've started to do recently is take walks in the morning. The practices by which this 
comes into place for me very across the course of time, so I can't tell you six months from now that I'll be doing walks in the morning. But right now, the first thing I do is I walk out my door, get on my clothes, walk out the door, whether it's warm or cold, whatever. To me, it feels good to be outside. I leave my cell phone behind. I have a specific prayer phrase that I use to start to orient myself towards Jesus. And then I've come to have in recent years a deeper awareness or perception of God sustaining everything, God in everything. So even I'm walking down my Iowa country road and there are some mown fields, there are some scrubby bushes, there are some lovely trees. I keep my eyes up. If my eyes go down, <laughs> I, start, I get lost in my thoughts, in my struggles. I start to have arguments with fictitious people, and I find I'm 10 minutes down the road, and it's like, well, that didn't work, huh? And so I look up, I focus on the trees, I have a sense of the presence of God coming to me, bathing me, surrounding me all around. I think specifically of Jesus, pray my prayers, and it's just really good right? I have a sense of what's coming in my day, a lot of troubles, systems, conflicts, people, news. It helps me, I think, to bear more of the kind of fruit that I want to bear as I go through my day. You know, my hope is that that's how I am more and more perceived as a fruit bearer in the world. You know, where the anticipation of interacting with me rather than producing apprehension, produces anticipation. So that's the invitation for us, a sanctuary community church, to abide in Jesus and to bear fruit in the world.